This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the internet, archived at ConcordNewsRadio.com and Coming to you today from our sumptuous studios high atop Concord's Main Street in the window at the Concord Photo Service. Our good friends hosting this show and others for WKXL and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's dementia or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Well, it's been another exciting week in the world, my friends, because today my name is Dominic, and I'm a, I'm a doorman here at the Trump Tower on Concord's Main Street. You can find us like at 2 North Main Street in Concord. Donald Trump has built a whole new tower. It's 72 stories high. It's gold. It doesn't have any sprinklers because who needs sprinklers for a tower? (laughs) Right? I mean, so there's a fire. So people die. It's a beautiful, beautiful building. I've heard heard Donald say that. Every time he comes downstairs, Donald stops. He says, Dominic, Look at this beautiful, beautiful building. It is strong. It is so strong. It is the strongest. Strongest in the world, right? I have the strongest towers. I have tallest, the strongest too, right? building. Tallest, biggest. Never mind my hands are small. I got the biggest towers. I mean, that's Donald for you. You know, he says this, he says that. But the other day, I was approached by a bunch of reporters, and they wanted to find out what this deal was with the National Enquirer paying me money sure. for a story, and all I could do was tell the truth. I mean, Donald has a love child. What do I know? I don't know anything, but that's what the girl told me. Some girl that Donald was involved with has a love child by Donald. She tells me, I tell them, they give me money, I take the money, people come and want to know about it. So I'm telling you. Why'd you settle on 30 grand? Why didn't well, you go higher? you know, i tell you why. 30 grand is a good number because I heard that Stormy, who I really like, I mean, I go on the internet. That's fine. That's fine. I, you know, that's fine I, I really like yeah. She got 130. Yeah, yeah. But I thought her story was bigger than my story. So I'm a kind of fair and impartial arbitrator of journalistic news. And I said, <laughs> for me, 30,000 is plenty. Yeah. It's just a love child after all. And she had and a. You don't have any, even have any verifiable information. Uh, well, what I had was I got a confession. Somebody told you something. A confession from about the Goyle. Something. The Goyle told me this about that. And. Putting two and four together. But that was like 30 I, years ago. What? Two and four together makes five. But I never seen Donald Trump's love child. No. I can't confess that I saw him together, but I know that she worked for him. 
And if she worked for him, and she tell You're me drifting, he had a love child. You're starting to sound a little like Putin. No, I'm not sounding like Putin. Get focused. I am, <laughs> I am very focused because my yeah. name is Dominic and I'm a doorman. Yeah. And to do my job properly at the Trump Tower, <laughs> I got to remember things. I got to know names. Yeah. I got to know faces. Yeah. And I can tell you this is- You don't need no names, just faces. Verifiable yeah. information yeah. is what is what I'm giving you. I'm giving you the straight, straight scoop. And now I'm going public because who knows, maybe there's another 30 grand in it for me. So that was Dominic, the doorman at Donald Trump's tower. And Donald Trump isn't having a great week this week, but that's been true just about every week because this week, his personal lawyer, his personal fixer, Magic Mike Cohen, Magic Mike, the the new name for attorney Michael Cohen, who apparently said that he paid with his own $130,000. He paid off Stormy. It was his idea. He wrote the agreement. She signed it. Donald didn't. It's all him. Donald let slip on the airplane. He didn't know anything about the agreement. And now the FBI comes knocking to Magic Mike Cohen. And let me tell you, folks, when the FBI comes knocking at a lawyer's office, and not just knocking, but breaking down the door because they've got a search and destroy, a no-knock warrant, that lawyer is in trouble. And the news is that Michael Cohen is going to plead the fifth. And folks, this isn't really about Michael Cohen and Stormy Daniels. Something else is going on, and it may have to do with the Russian connection. Because Michael Cohen was married to a Ukrainian woman and was involved for a long time in the taxi business in New York. Now, let me tell you about, I'll tell you, the taxi business in New York. Because this is not Vladimir, this is a cousin of Vladimir, yeah. who is running the medallion business in New York. Yeah. We are all Russians. We come, we settle in Brooklyn and other places. And the taxi business looks like one of those businesses which we can get into. Is fly by night, is shifty eyes. We can do this because we know from Moscow and St. Petersburg how to make shifty eyes. We buy up all the taxi medallions and you know you go to buy a taxi medallion you speak to the guy who owns the taxi medallion you have a 45 caliber smith and wesson um it's on the table his medallion's on the table you point the 45 caliber smith and wesson he says take my medallion please take my medallion what can we do we take the medallion soon we're running the entire taxi medallion business in new york and there's this guy felix sater felix sater Big, big, big tenant of Donald Trump. And Donald Trump and Felix Sater, they want to do business. Sater want to build Trump Tower in Moscow. Who's the fixer? Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen is the connection between Trump and many of the Russian You know a lot for a taxi driver. You're going to get a payoff now, too. Well, How I'm much not, do you want? I'm not exactly the driver. I own oh, the own medallions. The you I, own the medallions. I own the right, medallions. Uh, driving, driving I leave to others yeah. because that takes too, too much time. Owning the medallions, How I How much money do you want? Well, I would say $30 billion <laughs> would be good. I'll keep my mouth yeah. shut. Uh, in yeah. fact, I might even, for $30 billion from Donald Trump or Michael Cohen, I might even be be persuaded to leave country. I could go somewhere else with $30 Go hang out with Sergey Kislyak? I would go with Kislyak. I would go with Vladimir. I would go with Degaspaya. What's his name? Degaspaya. I can't remember. Where do you think Sergey Kislyak's at right now? Okay. 
feet up. Sergey, nice drink. Sergey having having French black, Riviera. He drinking black Russian in Washington Embassy. But you know the real the the real. Sergey got called home. Sergey, call home. Your mother in her babushka <laughs> wants to talk to you. What have you been doing? But one of the other things nobody is talking about is that in Thailand jail right now, two people sitting, female escort and her partner, who have all kinds of dirt on Bereshpaska, the 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 Soviet emigre <laughs> and billionaire billionaire yeah. with the yacht, they have yeah. story to tell about Bereshpaska yeah. and all his doings. <laughs> but what I'm trying to tell you, yeah, what, Michael, what are you trying to tell? Michael Cohen yeah. in the taxi medallion yeah. business in New York. <laughs> okay. And that is the Russian connection. <laughs> but it goes much, much further. And that is why <laughs> we are laughing here. We are so funny. We think this is funny, laughing. My friend Chris Ryan joining me is laughing. You should see his face. He's red, 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 <laughs> like he has been drinking vodka nonstop. <laughs> that is what we do. <laughs> so Michael Kowinski, yeah. Michael yeah, Kowinski, right. yeah. he's, he's, he's in real trouble. But you know, <laughs> so Donald made an, made a point. He said it was just unfair and unjust, and the FBI was out to get him. And how dare they? And it's unpatriotic. And he wants to fire Mueller, and he wants to fire Rosenstein, and he wants to fire Sessions, and he wants to fire John Kelly, and. Pretty soon, there isn't going to be anybody left to fire for Donald Trump. And when he runs out of people to fire, then what does he do? Um, what do his rants include? Because what he's missing is that when the FBI presents its evidence, uh, Mueller, by the way, didn't was not in charge of this particular aspect of the investigation. He referred it to the Justice Department, which then referred it to the New York U.S. attorney, who then went before a judge and presented the evidence. And let's just say there has to be some significant evidence of criminality for a judge sitting in New York being presented by, by the way, the Republican U.S. attorneys to to order a no-knock warrant. That's pretty serious. And guess what? It's not unpatriotic. It's not treasonous. And it's not about the country. Uh, what is a disgrace is that Donald Trump would equate going after his criminal, going criminally after his lawyer for criminal activity with an attack on the country. That's dementia. Let's look at... Um the individuals involved here. I mean, Christopher Wray is currently the director of the FBI, a Trump appointment. You mentioned the Republican judge, um, the the Justice Department. Everyone here, inv- not everyone here involved, but the majority of individuals here involved are individuals who were appointed by Donald Trump or should be loyal to Donald Trump and um, to some extent. So, you know, this to me is, is really significant. And, um, you know, Michael Cohen is essentially a, a treasure trove of tabloid type of information in regards to Donald Trump, and perhaps, you know, beyond that. But at the very least, um, you know, he's the guy who keeps the non-disclosure agreements, the audio recordings, and, and all that stuff. And um, though the potential is for a lot of that to become public as a result of this. And, you know, it would be, um, in my view, a fallacy and an injustice 
if you have a attorney for a the president of the United States paying people $130,000, others $30,000, and you have the National Enquirer piece, if there was not an actual investigation into this outside of, of Russia. Um, an investigation is an investigation. So there could be criminal wrongdoing. There could not be criminal wrongdoing. I mean, you can give $130,000 to people, but, you know, are you declaring it? Is there the, the taxable element and all the other is things? It, is it for campaign is purposes? Is it for campaign purposes? Is it campaign money? And, and who knows about right. it? All these things need to be looked at. And um, so... For those who are out there screaming, you know, witch hunt and, and all that, um, if this were Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama, you have to look at things from a and try to to step beyond your own hypocrisy at times and say, you know, if this were the on the other foot, well, how would I react um, to pledge blind loyalty to anyone to me is kind of ridiculous. And, you know, if this were Hillary Clinton and, um, you know, Hill, Bill and Hillary Clinton were found to be paying people off and Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton had given people a, a, a porn star $130,000, Sean Hannity and the rest of them would be doing this every night. They'd be apoplectic about this. They'd be calling for them to be jailed. And uh, for now, this to be a witch hunt because it involves your guy. And I, I just don't I, I don't get how people cannot have the own their own cannot have the self-awareness to understand you know how they should view things and that they need to put america first they need to put institutions first and who we are as a country before political party you know chris one of the things about you that really just frosts me i mean it burns me is you're so old-fashioned i mean come on put the country first I mean, instead of politics, I mean, try to put the country first. The idea that no man is above the law, not even the president, is just so, so like old school. I mean, you are just out of it. We're in a new era. We're in the era of real despots. We're in the era of true dictators. We're in the era of, 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 of Maduro down in uh, Venezuela. We're in Duarte in the Philippines. Now there's a guy who knows how to run a country and, and my buddy Vladimir very strong, Vladimir, very strong on running the country, very strong, understands the law, doesn't care. That's that, the new that's method. Better. Yeah, we're um, sounding better. What happened I'm practicing. I've been practicing. When I'm not here, I'm practicing. How do I talk? Like Donald Trump. I'm practicing all the time. It just came out this time. It's much, much better. People, I want you to write to the station. Tell them, thank God. His his act his 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 Donald Trump impersonation is now stronger, very much stronger. I have the best impersonations. Benghazi, as an example, was a situation that required a congressional investigation. Um, there were things that didn't make sense. Uh, there looked like there was a cover up. There was misinformation, and um, there was a need to investigate uh, what the Obama administration, Susan Rice knew and what Hillary Clinton knew. And if you were calling for an investigation in that circumstance, but you don't think that there's an issue with Russia, Russian collusion or Russians being involved in our election, but thought that that was bad um, and was terrible and that you needed the, that needed to be indictments and everything else, um, you need to take a look at things. You have it's to take a look at It's just a witch it. hunt. I'm telling you, it's just a witch hunt. There's no collusion. There never was any collusion. I don't know anything. 
I mean, just listen to what I say. And you know, I don't, I don't know anything. I talk like a fourth grader because I don't read. I can't read. I don't like to read. Even if I could read, I wouldn't read because I know best about everything. Uh, by the way, I'm going to bomb Syria. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. Oh, wait, did I say I wasn't? Well, I think I might. So just keep guessing, folks. What's my foreign policy? I don't have one. Yes, I do. Will I tell you? No, I'm going to tweet it. Why? Because I'm really strong with my thumbs. Look at the size. <laughs> Look at the size of my thumbs. I can do 140 characters. Oh, wait. Thank God. They gave me 280 characters. My thumbs are going faster than anybody's thumbs ever in the history of the world. I have the biggest best, strongest, fastest thumbs in all the world. And I'm going to tweet right now. I've got to go tweet some more because I'm upset. Why is that? Because I watched the television. What did they say on TV about me? They said bad, bad things. The media, it's all the media. Chris Ryan, you just don't know because you are the media. Well, um, whatever you say, man. Whatever. What can you say? Because I win. I'm a winner. I won in a landslide, and now I'm having my way. I'm having my way with the American people. She keeps saying that the uh, that there may have been fraud in the election. People voted illegally. Doesn't that call into question your, the legitimacy of your election, the fact that you continue to talk about that? The only votes that were fraudulent were the ones where they say that Hillary beat me by three million votes. Those are the bad oh, votes. All, right. all the other votes are good, good votes. votes. And in fact, those bad votes are going to turn into good votes because they're strong votes. Because I I went there and she didn't right. and I got all those people because I'm strong. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes with special guests Dominic the Doorman, Donald Trump and uh, Felix the Taxi Medallion guy with our buddy Chris Ryan brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be back to talk about arts and culture in the state of New Hampshire with Ginny Loopy, who runs the New Hampshire State Council on the Arts. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the internet, archived at ConcordNewsRadio.com, and coming to you from our sunny studios high atop Concord's fabulous Main Street, watching the pedestrians come and go from our window at the Concord Photo Service, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. Well, I'm really delighted to welcome Ginny Loopy to Off the Record. Ginny, nice Hi, to have Paul. you. Nice to be here. Here's what I can't believe. We've been doing this show now for a couple of years i'm kind of an arts guy and we haven't found the way to have you on the show yet i don't know conflicting schedules there you go well you're you are a very busy person because you are the person in charge at the new hampshire state council on the arts Yes, I am. What's your official title? My official title is director. So I was a member of the State Council on the Arts way back when. I was appointed by Governor Shaheen. I served for, for it seemed like, endless years. 
Um, and now I sit on the uh, National Council on the Arts, which is the, the the national version of the state council. We oversee the national endowment. But um, tell us a little bit about you. I mean, how did you come to the post? Hmm. Well, um, by a circuitous route, actually. So I began my career um, with two degrees in political science, a lot of arts background, started off my college career um, as a musician and a visual artist, ended up with two degrees in political science, and worked as a lobbyist and a policy wonk in community mental health for a long, long time. And then in the 90s, I had a crisis in my life, and I started thinking about what I really wanted to be doing with my life. And I went back to school and got an MFA in painting. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then kind of found my way into nonprofit arts work. My previous life had prepared me well to do that kind of work because a nonprofit is often just a nonprofit as a nonprofit. Um, and but I found my way into arts work. And so for eight and a half years before I came to New Hampshire in 2014, I led a regional arts services organization in the Finger Lakes region of New York State. Wow. I mean, I'm 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 just sitting here with my mouth open because you and I have have known each other now for a couple of years, but mm -hmm. have never had the. I've never. I, I don't think I ever asked you for the for the whole background. Mm -hmm. Now, wait, so you started as a musician. Yeah. What was your an instrument? A singer? Um, multiple, but mostly voice. Mostly voice. Yeah. And then political science yeah. and visual arts. Yeah. So you are a multi-talented person, clearly. I, do well, you, yeah, <laughs> it's okay. I mean, it's okay. Don't spend a lot of time making any kind of art these days. Right. So, uh, what was your medium? Did you paint um, oils, watercolor? Um, primarily oils, mixed media, and have a couple different bodies of work. Right. So clearly, for for running an, uh, a state arts agency, having an arts background is good. But also, having um, a political science background is also pretty interesting because, mm -hmm. as part of your work, you interface quite a bit with. Um, people in state government. Absolutely. And I think that that's something that your listeners might not even realize is that the New Hampshire State Council on the Arts is a state agency. We're part of government and that every state in the country has a state arts agency. Right. And the state arts agencies uh, generally and the New Hampshire State Council on the Arts um, which is now within the Department of Natural and Cultural Resources, which is a yeah. new department, we can talk a little bit about that, receives an appropriation from the state legislature in order to uh, invest in making grants um, uh, for not-for-profit and artistic activities. Absolutely. Um, and so in any given let's just take the most recent year how much uh, where does the where does the money from the f come from uh, for the state council on the arts um and uh, and then what do you do with it so we receive a direct state appropriation and we also receive a grant from the national endowment for the arts we receive 
um, significantly more from the National Endowment for the Arts, the federal government, than we do from state government. But together, those monies allow us to provide grants, services, and supports to arts organizations, community organizations, teaching artists, schools, individual artists throughout the state. Um, and the total budget, most recent budget? Oh, a little over a million dollars, 1.3 million. Okay. So what's always interesting to me is, um, you know, I, I, I was nominated by President Obama, appointed and uh, confirmed by the U.S. Senate to my position on the National Council on the Arts. And, and we have to sign off on all the grants the National Endowment mm-hmm. makes. We review them and sign off. And what uh, we were together this morning uh, making a presentation to the Business and Industry Association and helping uh, the business and industry leaders in the state understand the impact of the arts both nationally and in the state. Mm-hmm. Now, what we didn't bring up and 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 is just a point of interest is that the New Hampshire State Legislature in its wisdom um, does not um, <clears throat> doesn't spend an awful lot of money on the state council on the arts. In fact, we're forty seventh out of fifty two states and territories in terms of the amount of money that our legislature appropriates per the capita. Sure, per capita, mm-hmm. it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty low. And it you is. manage to stretch it pretty far. We do, we do. We've <coughs> got a very small staff. Um, a good fifty percent of our budget pretty much goes out in grants every year. And those grants have tremendous impact in the community. And so these are grants for artist residencies in schools. They're grants for community-based arts and cultural programming, you know, community theater, concerts on the green, those kinds of things. Um, Apprenticeships for traditional artists. Um, operating support, small operating support grants for nonprofit arts and cultural organizations. That 600000 or so in grants that goes out every year has a $35 million impact in, the in, state. Our, in our state. Yeah, so leverages. Wait, tell me that number again. $600,000 leverages approximately $35 million in direct spending by those grantees. I mean, the numbers, the numbers are amazing. It you is know, amazing. One of the things we talked about this morning at the BIA was that the national numbers, um, which are, are recently available, tell us that arts and cultural production in the country accounts for 4.2% of the GDP, that is, of the entire production of our economy. In 2015, 4.2% um, or $764 billion. Billion. Billion dollars was mm-hmm. arts, culture, and entertainment. Now, that mm-hmm. included both not-for-profit and the for-profit um, uh, work. We run a $20 billion trade surplus with, uh, with that sector. Um, and it's it the, the arts and cultural sector in this country is a bigger line item on the Bureau of Economic Analysis GDP study than agriculture, than transportation and warehousing, or construction. Bigger. Folks, the arts in America are bigger business than agriculture. I'll say it one more time. The arts in America are bigger business than agriculture. And the reason I repeat it is because so few people really understand the size and impact of our arts and cultural Mm -hmm. industries. And, you know, one of the questions we got this morning was, well, 
basically, why should the government um, spend money on the arts? I mean, why? 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 With all the things that the government ought to do, mm-hmm. why is it just? Why are we spending money on the arts? I mean, I the the questioner said, I go to the arts. I I attend. Uh, the theater. I pay for my tickets. Uh, why? Why should? Why should? Why should we, as a public, mm-hmm. spend tax dollars on the arts? Is there an answer? I think that there are numerous answers here, and of course, my answer to the question this morning was that the federal government and state government investment in the arts helps level the playing field so that everybody can access the arts, and this is very, very important. Otherwise. We end up with an elitist system where only people who can pay for the arts will access the arts. And we firmly believe on a state level and on a a federal level that the arts should be available to everybody. We also know that if the arts are available across all sectors— and in underserved communities or economically struggling communities, that people who access the arts have better long-term life outcomes. So children who are exposed to the arts at a young age perform better in school, get into college, get good jobs, contribute to the economy. So there's a direct relationship between this small amount of money, really, when we're talking about the National Endowment for the Arts, it's what, 0.004% of the federal budget, that spending this small amount of money up front can reduce costs later on um, for things like prisons, drug treatment, um, a financial assistance, food stamps, the list goes on. You know, if, I, if I'm talking to a business person, I would say this, that no matter where you are in business, your employees are going to come from all over. That's right. And they're not just going to come from rich communities where people can afford um, privately to pay for mm-hmm. access and participation in the arts. They're going to come from all over. And that means that you've got to be sensitive to the uh, skills of a broad workforce, and uh, you are should be invested in the idea that um, uh, creativity, uh, innovation, teamwork, independent thinking, all of which are are now by by numerous studies and lots of research shown Absolutely. to be directly related to participation in and access to um, the arts and culture are critical to your business in terms of your workforce development. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we know this. Um, major employers consistently speak about the need to hire creative thinkers, creative workers. It's uh, so it was I mean, it's it's an interesting discussion. And, you know, in terms of funding, 40 um, percent of the national endowments money goes to a low income poverty uh, or underserved areas, mm-hmm. a, a big percentage um, uh, to your point of leveling the playing field. Absolutely. The national endowments mission is to is to go to underserved populations, whether it's hospitals, institutions, veterans, the military. Um, mm-hmm. There are all kinds of areas where 
um, above and beyond simply access and participation in the arts for uh, people um, uh, that we think of. There are lots of innovative things happening with the arts, whether it is uh, for our veterans and military suffering for PTSD or dealing with our epidemic and the crisis of opioid uh, opioid abuse and substance addiction. Absolutely, absolutely. We have a grant program in arts and health that actually funds projects that um, are working with veterans and working with people with addiction. And, you know, that is something that's on my on my radar to expand as we go into this next budget year. I think this is absolutely crucial in New Hampshire. We know that the arts, integrating the arts into opioid treatment and recovery programs increases the level of success of those programs. We're talking with Ginny Loopy, who is the executive director. Is that the right title? Not, well, director. Director. (laughs) But she's the executive, and she's the director at the New Hampshire State Council on the Arts here in Concord. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the Internet and archived at ConcordNewsRadio.com, where you can binge listen to past episodes to your heart's content, one after the other. Don't fail to binge listen to Off the Record, Brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. We will be back after this. Don't go away. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the internet, archived at ConcordNewsRadio.com for your binge-listening pleasure, and brought to you by the Birches of Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. We are talking with Ginny Loopy, the director of the New Hampshire State Council on the Arts. Her first visit, believe it or not, to to Off the Record. It's hard to believe. I've been trying to get her on this show for months and months and months, and she's finally been able to make herself available. I am so, so thrilled because, Ginny, I have to tell you that um, my dear friend Van McLeod was so excited when he told me that you had taken the job as the director of the New Hampshire State Council on the Arts. I think he saw it as critical to the success of the arts in New Hampshire, and you have been doing just a terrific job because you're really Smart. The arts have made you smart because arts are at the heart of smart. How's about about that? (laughs) Absolutely, but it's absolutely true. I was really fortunate to grow up in a very arts-focused household, politically focused too. Um, But the arts were an integral part of our lives from the time that we were very, very small children. And so I had the benefit of piano lessons and community theater and dance and visual art. And, and I know that it shaped me in a very positive way. It, it for, helped me form my worldview. Um, it gave me um, an, a way to express myself. Um, it Im- helped improve my academic performance for sure. I think music absolutely had a lot to do with that. And I consider myself very fortunate 
You know, I want everybody to have those kinds of experiences. You know, if you if your parents are not engaged in the arts, I want you to be able to access the arts in your community. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 excited by something you said uh, earlier on in the show in in our first segment together. You talked about the importance of the arts and health program, and mm. one of the things that I have been most uh, proud of uh, in the um, in my in my role, the National Council overseeing the National Endowment has been a pioneering program that the National Endowment has undertaken uh, with the military. And um, e- there are a number of different programs, including mm-hmm. the Blue Star Museums, where um, there are dis- steep discounts for military families to museums in the summer. And, yes. and I know that there are some museums here in New Hampshire that participate. Mm-hmm. But the, the program that I'm, I'm thinking about is the one uh, focusing on uh, traumatic brain injuries and PTSD, yes. where the National Endowment started a program with Walter Reed Hospital to really to see whether or not arts therapy and arts in health for a brain injured and PT, uh, brain injuries and PTSD could make a difference and what uh, that program which was pioneered at Walter Reed and a lot of research was done over the past few years has now expanded to 11 other uh, military facilities around the country Absolutely. and it will soon be expanded even more because of the military uh, and the research is showing that among the 40 different modalities used to treat brain injuries and PTSD, the arts are in the top four, and they're the least expensive. So basically, they're the least expensive, most effective way. Um, many, many uh, veterans and active-duty military have found to deal with um, their issues. And I'm really um, hopeful and that your focus on... on, on um, uh, arts in health in New Hampshire um, can extend to our military and veteran communities because here in New Hampshire, one of the things that was always of uh, real importance to me was the fact that we have a very high percentage of veterans yes. here in New Hampshire. It's about 10% of the population, which per capita mm-hmm. is very high. And I know that expanding our programs here for arts and health in all kinds of ways would be beneficial. Absolutely. And there are a number of programs that already exist in New Hampshire um, that are working um, integrating the arts into either mental health care, veterans care, addiction care. Um, We have funded a program um, at Dartmouth-Hitchcock that was modeled on the NEA's project with Walter Reed, um, the MASK project, um, and that work was done at at Dartmouth in the inpatient mental health unit, and the outcomes have been really striking um, for this expressive work, um, helping people really understand themselves and move through and into recovery. Um, very, very powerful. Yeah, Ginny is referring to one of the earliest uh, programs that the National Endowment and Walter Reed uh, conducted was um, leading workshops for uh, folks in making masks, mm-hmm. which allowed them to really express what was going on inside in ways that words could never express. Exactly. There was something about the arts, whether it is sculpture, painting, uh, music making, movement. just movement, the arts that uh, that has been shown to to free up 
emotions that are stuck, uh, things that people can't say but now can express through the arts. And the, you know, the stories are just, they're really, um, they're, they're deeply, they're deeply affecting. Mm-hmm. But it's also, you know, in terms of the economic benefits, that was one of the things we, we highlighted um, this morning at the BIA, the economic benefits to the state um, of the arts <laughs> are really serious. I'm I'm shuffling through. I, I, well, I, sure, I, you I know have that a stack, I have a stack of papers here, but the um, arts um, uh, economies and employment study has now been broken down by state for the first time. Sure, and and we were anxiously awaiting this uh, because we knew that. We know that the impact is significant, and to have um, these federal numbers um, that are, you know, very well respected was very, very important. So we found out that the arts and culture sector in New Hampshire has a $2.3 billion impact. These are, this is 2015 numbers. billion. So this That's an annual impact. This is an annual impact. And so this is extraordinary. You know, we're defining the arts arts and culture in a broad way. So we're including what we traditionally think of as the arts, the nonprofit arts sector. As well um, as the profit. As well as the the for-profit sector. And so we're including media. We're including the recording industry, publishing, architecture, um, the film and the film industry, and so it's a broad definition because this is the creative workforce. This is this is the creative economy. It's the essence of what is now the creative economy, which Absolutely. is what our economy is becoming. Absolutely. Uh, somebody said to me at the end of today, um, a businessman said, "You know." He said the numbers are just are just mind blowing because and and the importance is I, I really get it. Thank you so mm-hmm. much because you know if you think about robots taking over manufacturing, we're going to have to be a creative economy. Absolutely, and and you know in terms of what's growing in New Hampshire in terms of the creative economy, we have a very robust publishing industry. Media is growing rapidly. Game design. And which is also a high tech industry right. is growing by leaps and bounds. In fact, graphic S- design. SNHU, Southern yes. New Hampshire University, has a huge number of students engaged in learning and practicing video game design and video games in the in terms of the entertainment industry. Um, many people may not know are are one, now one of the leading areas of participation. Absolutely. And there and, and these games and this technology and design is also used in workforce training, military training. You know, it goes beyond, you know, your Xbox and really into a much bigger, you know, it's a much bigger world. You know, it's kind of I, I, I was fortunate enough to, um, as a member of Congress, to be able to take a ride on a nuclear submarine. And I uh, went down to Florida, got on the SS New Hampshire, a, 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 which at the time, about 10 years ago, was had just been commissioned. And we went for a deep dive off the continental shelf. But what really got me was that you know, without revealing any anything classified, I can say that the control room of the uh, nuclear submarine SS New Hampshire was 
was a, a series of computer and video screens run mm-hmm. with joysticks, and it struck me that the young sailors who were running the ship had all grown up mm-hmm. playing video games, and that was one of the significant entry points to learning how um, to operate a nuclear submarine. Absolutely, absolutely. Growing up with that te- technology then has and, and the design aspects of that technology prepared them very, very well for these highly intricate jobs. But, but So let's just go back to the number. $2.3 billion impact for arts and culture in New Hampshire every year. Every year. And we've got, what, a $3 billion state budget. Mm-hmm. So... So, so the you know the the direct economic impact is a significant percentage of New Hampshire's well, economy. Well, that's right. Three point one percent of the state's economy. Bigger than timber. Uh huh. Bigger than timber and forestry. Bigger than tourism. Bigger than tourism. Okay, folks, get this: arts and culture in New Hampshire bigger than tourism, and in fact, arts and culture in New Hampshire are absolutely essential to tourism Mm -hmm. because, for example, one of the things we heard this morning was that for the Capital Center of the Arts in Concord, there are more people from outside the state and outside of Concord coming to see the shows than inside. In other words, there's Mm -hmm. a huge migration of people who come to town for the arts and then they spend money. Absolutely. And Concord isn't the only community where that is occurring. You know, we see this all around the state, that people are traveling to New Hampshire communities because of the presence of arts and culture. Well, we're talking with Ginny Loopy, the director of the New Hampshire State Council on the Arts here in Concord, New Hampshire. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Ginny, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Paul, for having me. Off the Record. Brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111.